That's right, David. We're back. How yeah. do you feel, David? We're back, Kaz. Uh, I feel pretty good. It's Friday. It's uh, it's my favorite time of the week, I think. Yeah, it's been a long week, and it, you know you don't have anything to do tomorrow. Uh, you can really, truly relax on a Friday evening, I think. We both had a day off on Tuesday, didn't we? That's right. Uh, yeah, we did. There's so many holidays. Uh, yeah, Tuesday was a national holiday. Do you know what it was? I don't know. I do, Kaz. Uh, last Tuesday was a day celebrating the Emperor's birthday. So his birthday is February 23rd. So the Emperor of Japan. Uh, so it actually becomes a national holiday. Everyone has the day off. Oh, well, that was wonderful. Thank you, Emperor, for being born. But actually, I preferred it when the Emperor's birthday fell on December 23rd. So the Heisei Emperor, his birthday was December 23rd. So we would get that day off just before Christmas. And usually then December 22nd would be our last day of work. Uh, and then we'd have a nice long Christmas or winter break. But a couple of years back, we moved from the Heisei era into the Reiwa era. So we're now in the second year of the new emperor. And his birthday is on February 23rd. So we don't get the December 23rd holiday anymore. Oh, uh... You know, no, but it's interesting. Uh, you know, I I was apparently born in the Showa period, and so it's it's quite odd to fill out forms sometimes. Hmm. You know, because you know you're on these forms, you're marking. Well, were you born in Showa, which was I think sixty three years? Um, oh, Showa sixty three. Okay, or sixty four. I get confused. Okay, then, I'm going to guess now because I'm Showa fifty five. Which I know is 1980, so I'm going to say you were born in 1989, Kaz? 88, so 88. the last year of Showa. I think even, and the year, is so like the Showa went for 63 or 64 years and then stopped somewhere in the middle of 88 or 89, if I, I just, I don't have facts on me. Um, and then it moved to the uh, Heisei period. And that lasted up until almost three years ago at this point, two years ago. Yeah, two and a bit. And actually, the moving from the Heisei to the Reiwa era was uh, the first time that the emperor actually abdicated uh, due to ill health. So usually right. um, in throughout history, when the emperor passes away, that's when they move to a new uh, era and his son or next in line ascends to the throne. But yeah, that was the first time when he actually abdicated. So, Kaz, I have a, an interesting story for you and our listeners, actually. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you on your Japanese cultural knowledge, okay? Okay, I'm not prepared. Okay, so last weekend I had a, a, some documents to prepare, um, some bureaucracy to attend to. I went to the Immigration Bureau in Asaikawa to renew my visa. Me and Michael were going to meet in Fukagawa. Uh, after work, I went to pick her up at the train station. Um, so she messaged me while I was at school. So I thought I'd give her a call after, after work just to confirm everything was okay. Because uh, like we talked last time, we've had a few fubukis of late. So I just thought I'd check the trains were running. Um, so I called her and she didn't pick up. So I thought, okay, she sees I'm trying to call. She'll call me back in a few minutes. And then I waited for her to call back, but she never did. And so I drove to Fukugawa and I got there and I called her again, but she still wouldn't pick up. And then finally, just before the train arrived, I realized why she hadn't picked up. Do you know what I realized, Kaz? Uh, she turned off her phone on the train? Hmm, almost. Almost. Um. Yeah, like, um, maybe this isn't so interesting, but I find it interesting. Uh, in Japan, it's it's not acceptable to talk on the phone on public transport it's considered kind of rude or vulgar yeah that's actually a really i mean the story itself is a little mundane if i can <laughs> if i can you know jab you a little bit but it's an interesting yeah, yeah. point um yeah, you know, in America, and I, I guess maybe Ireland too, when you're on public transport, go ahead and make your phone call. Be a rude uh, person, you know, scream about uh, selling stocks of GME or whatever on the train. It's fine. But here in Japan, there is uh, an etiquette rule of not 
speaking on the telephone while you're riding it with other passengers. It's a relatively quiet environment when you're on a train here. You know, actually, this that brings up a good set of things we should talk about, David. You know, there are so many rules and cultural notes to Japan that not everybody knows. And hmm. um, I think today, well, I don't think I know because I planned it <laughs> ahead of time. Um, today, I think our topic is what to do when you get to Japan. Does that sound right. fair to you? Yeah, it sounds good. David, you came to Japan seven years ago. Was it your first time? It was my second time in Japan. Uh, the previous time was, I think, 2011. Yeah, January 2011. I just took a short trip to Tokyo and Kyoto, so four days in each. And so that was the kind of big shock for me, uh, various things. I just had no idea what to do. Uh, I was a little intimidated in certain situations. So yeah, it was uh, it was kind of tricky for me. How about you, Kaz? I came over here twice and during when I was a high schooler in both in in one summer and then the following. But I'd like to think that when I came here three years ago, all that culture, all those notes that I'd taken mentally were thrown out. Uh, it's almost mm -hmm. like I experienced the country again for the first time, you know, three years ago. Right, right. So when you come here to live, uh, there's a little change in mentality in how you go about things, I guess. Right. But, you know, not everybody who's listening to us is going to live here in Japan. So I think in this episode that is completely very well structured, uh, we did a <laughs> lot of research for it. Um, we're going to talk about what it is to just come and be here. Uh, you know, uh -huh. please visit or extended stay or overnight, whatever. And then in the latter half of the show, we're going to kind of talk about what it means to live here as a foreigner and how it kind of maybe applies to our jobs because we're both ALTs. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we'll talk most about. Um, so, David, what is mm -hmm. the most dangerous thing when you get off the plane in uh, Tokyo, specifically the Narita Airport, what is the most dangerous thing that you see when you get off the plane? Most dangerous thing? Wow, that's an interesting question, Cass. Oh, right, yeah, I know. It's the camera crew waiting for you at uh, arrivals, right? That's right. What's the name of the show, David? So there's this TV show called Why Did You Come to Japan? And they, what they do is they wait in, in arrivals in Narita Airport, and I guess they're looking for sort of maybe slightly interesting looking people or maybe adventurous looking people. And um, they might just come up to you with their camera filming uh, their show and say, hey, you, why did you come to Japan? And if you give them maybe a really interesting answer, they might just follow you for the next three weeks or something like that. That's right. Uh, and, you know, I'm not criticizing the show, but um, they typically choose uh, more awkward people. Um, oh, really? And uh, in my experience, um, there is a very famous YouTuber. He has blonde hair. He's a big dude. And hmm. they found him on the streets. And they did not portray him in a very good light, in my opinion. Um, oh, right. Was he kind of boorish, kind of just causing trouble wherever he went? Oh, just com you know, almost the complete opposite of Japanese culture. Um, but, yeah, he was boorish. Um, and, I mean, so they just follow around these people... And they can they go to extreme lengths uh, to follow these people. Either it might be just the day they, the camera crew follows that particular person to a bar and kind of interviews them, or it might be a three day excursion where they follow this guy, you know, trying to find love in Japan. And uh, David, you said you watched somebody uh, in recent times that had a unique journey. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, going back a few years ago. But um, so I don't have a TV cast, so I, I never really watch these sorts of programs. I catch them at the onsen sometimes. But my experience of it was I met a guy called Seba, uh, Sebastian or Seba-chan. And he was from Chile and traveling through Japan on his bicycle. So this camera crew picked him up at the airport and they said, wow, that's a really interesting thing. We're going to follow you. And so they followed him all through Japan. I think he cycled quite a considerable length of Honshu and he eventually made his way to Hokkaido where I met him in Fukugawa. And, you know, it's a TV show. So, you know, it's very interesting to follow these uh, people and, and see what their lives are like in Japan. But they kind of need an angle sometimes. 
So uh, Sebacham, he's a really nice guy and he wanted to help them. So he said, oh yeah, uh, I want to eat ramen like everywhere in Japan. So he was basically, when he was followed around by this crew, he felt this pressure to eat ramen everywhere. So he was basically eating ramen every day for like three or four weeks. Um, And then when you saw the retrospective of his journey in the kind of summation thing, you could see how his health was not, (laughs) you know, he was, let's just say it wasn't the best idea from a health perspective. Well, and it's it's such a funny thing, you know, you th- when you think Japan, you, you typically think of very healthy foods, or at least that's the thing I think of. And ramen is popular worldwide, but it is probably one of the lesser healthy options of the Japan Japanese diet, because uh, there's a lot of oils and fats in the ramen. And so to eat ramen for an extended period of time, I can't imagine um, his skin fared very well. No, it didn't. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good to meet him, and he had uh, he loved Japan. You know, he had a lot of friends all over the place, and yeah, it was it was an, a nice experience for him on the whole. I think it's, it's a nice little uh, TV show. But um, so you can you can decide whether you want to talk to them or not when you arrive at Narita. Right, um, it's up to you. Now, when you do get to Narita, and I I would assume a lot of people would fly to Narita whenever this thing is over. Um, mm. Narita is typically a fairly removed, yeah, Narita Airport is far away from, you know, the tourist area or the place you want to go in Tokyo. So you have to get on a train or a bus to Hmm. the kind of heart of Tokyo. And for some, that could be a daunting task. But honestly, with the advent of Google Maps and the very helpful um, airport staff, uh, mm-hmm. that a lot of them do speak English, it's really not that big of a deal to go from Narita to, I don't know, Shinjuku. I think the first thing to remember when you come to Japan is always ask for help. Uh, never be afraid to ask for help because people will be very, very helpful, um, whether they're information desk staff or not. And if even if they don't speak English, you know, they're, they're probably willing to, to help you or point you in the right direction. Um, One of the things, if you're planning any kind of traveling within Japan, as opposed to just staying in Tokyo or just staying in Kyoto, you're probably going to need a rail pass, um, which is a good option if you're a tourist. If you're just visiting Japan, you can avail of this service. Uh, If you're coming to Japan to live, it's not necessarily available to you. Um, But if you're doing some traveling in Japan, definitely look that up ahead of time, because it's quite a, a little bit complicated procedure. You have to order your rail pass online pay for it they send you a voucher or something in the mail and then when you get to narita you take that to the jor uh, office desk and then they give you your rail pass and that can be used on uh, a variety of train services right you can take the narita express or you can take a local train the narita express will be about an hour while the local train will be about uh, an hour and a half to two that's right yeah but all uh, all trains are very you know, they, they're never late, you, you know, and if you miss a train, usually you'll be able to get an, another one pretty soon. And I do recommend using Google Maps, um, mm. though it's very clear about, um, you know, which trains platform, what time and how that all works. Um, it's very clear about that. Although, as a downside for Google Maps, because Japan is laid out the way it is, um, when you're trying to get to the final destination, you know, say you rode the train and you're trying to get to this little restaurant down this narrow side street, all the directions via the train, that's all perfect, fine, and well, and wonderful. But then where the little dot is, your end destination for the restaurant is, might not always be so accurate. You know, this is the time for your cartography skills to come into play. And just, you know, also uh, walk around and see if you can find it on your own. But also look lost as well, because somebody will come up and offer you help if there's enough people around. Usually, you know. Usually. Um, Yeah. Um, But speaking of walking, you know, Japan, especially in the big cities, there's a lot of walking to do. My Hmm. biggest thing that I wish I had known before I, you know, coming here uh, Hmm. was to bring proper walking shoes. I mean, is is vast city. One time in, oh, well, actually the uh, New Year's of 2020, I went down to Tokyo for five days. 
And um, I did a little step tracker, and I had walked, um, what's 40 miles in kilometers? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Divide by five. That's 64 kilometers. That's right. So I walked 64 kilometers in four days just wandering about, you know, seeing what was up. So um, I, I, I ruined those shoes. But you obviously don't mind a bit of a hike. Like, I love walking around a city like Tokyo or Kyoto because um, it's so interesting, you know, um, and it's so safe and it's so clean. And you can pretty much walk everywhere if you want. Um, but yeah, Tokyo is so big. Like, you want to, you want to, you, you can jump on the train and cut your journey down to like five minutes. No problem. Now, do, do you pay attention to what you're doing on the train? Because I, at one point, took a hour-long loop on the what was it the Yamanote line when I could have just ridden it for five minutes yeah that goes around Tokyo in a very convenient circle right right um so you said Japan's pretty clean right Mm. well fun fact when you're walking in the streets of Tokyo there's almost never a garbage can Oh, right. Yeah. This is uh, this takes some getting used to, I think, as a foreigner. Um, and there's there's two good points to make on this, actually. Um, one is to keep your rubbish with you until you can find a garbage can. And the other is don't snack and walk at the same time. Right, Kaz? Well, yes and no to that. Um, OK, because I think more older traditional Japanese people or just, you know, Japanese people that are of a certain age. Um, they prefer not to walk and eat. That is somewhat of a cultural no-no to them. However, mm-hmm. the younger generations, as I've been discovering from looking online and seeing other you know, YouTubers discuss stuff, um, it, that kind of behavior is slowly phasing out. However, eating on the train or public transports, that's still considered a no-no from everybody. Uh, okay, and th- but that's uh, I'm very glad about that, actually, because... One of my pet hates back in Ireland is people eating sandwiches on the bus. You know, I just can't stand it. No, I mean, you know, when I was walking during around Tokyo, I, I visited uh, Shinjuku and I was eating in onigiri while walking. And I saw a couple of other young people doing that. Not to say that I'm young by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I felt at least, uh, you know, fine about it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, if you want to, if you feel worried about that sort of thing, just sort of split the difference and just you can eat outside a convenience store. That's quite acceptable. And maybe oh, yeah. then, you'll, then, then you'll be able to deposit your your rubbish, your gomi into the uh, into the convenience store trash can. Right. Because, you know, convenience stores here are really at the key word here being convenient. They have trash cans usually available. Uh, outside of certain places in Tokyo, there are very clean bathrooms. You can pick up a lot of snacks, full meals um, that are, you know, either prepared in the store or just well prepared in general. And they're typically healthy for you. Yeah, they have a lot of healthy options, right? Um, but yeah, that's a slightly incongruous uh, idea, maybe, that um, you wouldn't walk and eat necessarily. That's kind of culturally vulgar. But it's perfectly fine uh, to eat on the train from, you know, a long distance train journey where you have your own table in front of your chair and so on. You can buy, uh, you can often buy a bento on the train or you can even drink beer uh, if you want. There's somebody going around the train selling stuff. Oh, right. So for longer travel places, you can eat on the train. But for like, you know, your 15 minute travel from A to B in downtown Tokyo, that's a little bit more taboo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the big cultural shocks for me was when I got off, uh, no, I was in Sapporo taking a flight to Tokyo and um, I got through the um, the scanner machine thing and I turned the corner to go to a convenience store and there's beer and alcohol available and I see this old guy pick up a beer, buy it at the counter, go over to the, you know, sitting area, waiting area and drink that beer and you know, there's this whole like thing that Japan likes to drink. You can buy uh, a beer or whatever and take it out of the store and walk down the street and drinking that beer. That's okay. 
I think the reason it's okay is that um, they don't have the sort of association uh, between alcohol and loutish behavior that you might find in, in Ireland or England or perhaps the US as well. You know, people drink a beer or two just to relax and uh, enjoy and just relax by themselves, you know, um, not necessarily to go on a, a crazy night out or something like that, you know. So drinking in public is kind of acceptable that way. Well, I do I do want to mention that they prohibited you drinking in public during Halloween in the Shinjuku uh, Shibuya area because a couple of years ago, a bunch of people, foreigners from all across the world, you know, started flocking to Shinjuku Shibuya for Halloween because Halloween has kind of grown in popularity here in Japan. Um, and... Uh, so they kind of got a little too rowdy, and so they ruined it for the rest of us. <laughs> they ruined it for everyone, yeah. Was that you, Kaz? Were you there? Uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Halloween has increased in popularity. I think there's, a, there's an interesting match there of like cosplayers who love uh, anime. They want to dress up as their favorite characters, so Halloween is kind of the perfect event for that. You know, it's a celebration of cosplay almost. Right. You would think this would have been uh, Halloween would have been a big deal from the get go. But I think in the last 10 years, has Halloween really kind of been on the tongues of Japanese people? Otherwise, it's just never been thought of as a thing. That's right. Yeah. So um, I didn't know that Halloween kind of originated from your neck of the woods. Yeah, so Ihahauna is the night of the Samhain. Um, It's kind of our uh, Obon, in effect. Uh, Obon in Japan is when the souls come back from the afterlife and they wander around. So you have to pray for them and maybe leave out some offering for them. Uh, Similarly, in Halloween, you know, we put out the jack-o'-lantern to scare away the evil spirits. Because, yeah, the Samhain, which in Old Irish means kind of end of summer, actually. Um, So it's a fall festival and the spirits come back. uh, So we have to, yeah, watch out or pay respects or something like that. I love Halloween. Halloween's my favorite holiday. It's my least favorite holiday. Oh, man. Yeah. Do you not like I can tell you why stuff? as well. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, no, I think it's because um, I went to uh, strict kind of Catholic schools where you had to wear uniforms all the time, and I therefore hated uniforms of any kind, and so uh, cosplaying and dressing up kind of is like a uniform for me. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to be told what to wear. I think that's the root of it. Um, but also, yeah, kind of a shy kid as well. Oh man. See, this is, it's perfect for shy kids because you can put on a mask and Mm. go out and be whoever you want to be. Interesting. Hadn't thought of it that way. Right. Well, you know, differing opinions. Um, no, I I love Halloween. I, I, I love to dress up. I always do it really terribly, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I have a good time with it and, uh, it's always been just a, a fun holiday for me. I just like the whole atmosphere of it. Yes. So back to Japan. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> what were That's, we talking about? Is that what our podcast is about? I forget. <laughs> it's about Halloween, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> oh, so if it has not been said, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about trains, uh, but one of the things I think people should do is uh, to buy an IC card. Have you used one? I've never used one, but I know they're very, very easy to use and easy to top up, and they can be used on various different uh, train lines in Tokyo and elsewhere. Right, because an IC card is essentially a cashless payment system. When you get into the train stations, you can go up to a little kiosk and purchase your ticket from A to B, but for most people visiting here, uh, it's a little hard to read the language. Um, so while there is English available, it can still get a little tricky. So if you buy an IC card, which I think has about a 500 yen deposit on it, it will, you can scan it going through the little turnstile and it will remember where you got on and where you got off. And so you're not, you know, standing when you get off the trains, put your ticket into the little turnstile and getting rejected. It will mm-hmm. eliminate some of that confusion for you. Also, another thing, whether you're traveling uh, within Tokyo, if you're staying in the Tokyo area, it's just uh, maybe it's not so necessary because you can get to your hotel relatively easily. 
But if you're traveling around Japan or your hotel's a bit further away, you can avail of a lug luggage delivery service, which are available at all, all the airports in Japan. Um, they're very common services and very easy to use. Right. This is very nice. Uh, when I arrived here, I had only two suitcases. So um, I, I just toted them everywhere I went. Mm -hmm. um, now, when I have traveled around, I've only brought a backpack. And um, because of my light packings, I also stayed uh, at different hotels. Specifically, what I'm referring to is the tube hotels or the pods or the capsule hotels. Have you ever stayed in one of those? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I enjoy them actually. They're they're like um, they're exactly what they sound like. Little capsules, you know, maybe three or four feet across, maybe four or five feet uh, in height, and then the length of uh, uh, a human body. Um, and they have uh, in inside your capsule, you might have a radio, you might have a TV if you're lucky, but you don't really need a TV in these days of smartphones and so on. You'll have like an alarm clock. A little maybe tiny little shelf you can put a water bottle on and then maybe a plug for your your device and that's all it is it's like a bed and then if you want to you know the showers and uh, toilet facilities are all communal so um, it's basically just the bare bare bones of what you need to spend the night somewhere and if you're backpacking or taking trying to be as cheap as possible while traveling through japan these are some of the cheapest places you can stay yeah yeah they're very very convenient i think I think I stayed in one, maybe 2,000 yen one time. Very cheap. Right. But if you're claustrophobic by any stretch of the imagination, this could be a potential nightmare for you. Yeah, yeah. It's not advised if you're that way inclined. But that's that's not to say that, you know, the hotels that you can purchase that have uh, sort of a normal room, they're pretty small too. That's right. But um, also very good value, I think. Um, business hotels are... a. Uh, 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 important function of Japanese society you know the salary man the businessman they travel a lot um by train by plane and uh, by other means and they do so there's a business trip is a huge part of of uh, life in Japan so there's always salary man going here and there so those uh, those business hotels can be quite cheap actually so not much more than you'd pay for a capsule hotel you can get quite a small hotel room usually right I've always I mean I've always stayed in cheap hotels here and when you do stay in cheap hotels outside the few exceptions they're typically very nice when you buy a cheap hotel in uh america well it's not going to be good <laughs> no, you're right there yeah like they, they'll be kind of small but uh, everything is of a standard here and there's always a wonderful uh, cleanliness. Um, you can expect to be treated courteously and respectfully by all the staff. You know, usually all the facilities you need are there, but just in a kind of a small room. Um, I remember my first trip to Tokyo. I stayed a few nights in a business hotel uh, in Tokyo. But then when I went to Kyoto, I stayed in a traditional ryokan, you know, a Japanese inn. And uh, I really broke the bank my first night. I spent, I stayed in a very kind of lavish place. I felt like I was in uh, I, the James Bond movie. It was so lavish. It was like picturesque, beautiful Japanese garden in the center of Tokyo, in, in the center of Kyoto, rather. Um, and uh, I did, uh, last time uh, we talked, I talked about my tempura experience. It was this place. Um, so we did one night, we ate tempura, and the other night was kaiseki, this Japanese banquet. And, you know, you put on your yukata and you sit in this small little room just for yourself or your group. And then they bring in like all these tiny little uh, wonderful, delicate Japanese dishes one at a time, you know, uh, over the course of the evening. That was when I had uh, oysters for the first time and also uh, fugu, uh, Japanese puffer fish. Have you ever tried that, Kaz? No, I haven't. Uh, I think a small number of people, maybe one or two people die every year from the neurotoxin in the in the puffer fish but uh you know the numbers are quite low so i, I wasn't too afraid of that happening <laughs> but yeah i'd really recommend um if it is your first time in japan you know at least spend one or two nights in a in a traditional japanese yokan and uh, the business hotels are very convenient and they do give you a, a slice of modern japanese life but uh, i think it's well worth seeing the traditional japanese inn I have to say, in general, I really love traveling around Japan. Um, I've done it by train. I've done it uh, on uh, by car as well. As you know, I took a long road trip from Hokkaido down to, down to Hiroshima a few years back. And of course, you can get 
uh, quite easily by plane from from Hokkaido to Kyushu or from Hokkaido to Okinawa if you want. And uh, yeah, there's there's cheap flights here in Japan, like in Europe and America and elsewhere. It's really it's just a joy to travel around Japan. There's always a kind of um, uh, in the back of my mind, I always know uh, everything's going to be fine because people are respectful. And if I lose something, I can almost certainly get it back. You know, there's just that kind of assurance you always have in Japan that things are going to be fine. It's a very safe country to uh, to travel in. Right. Um, you know, it's so nice to travel because of, you know, these, these accommodations that people are willing to, you know, take in your stuff and keep it if you lose it and that sort of thing. Um, but mm. one, one thing I do want to mention, well, there's several things I want to mention, but cash is king here in Japan. Uh, for such a yes. modern country, cash is primarily what you'll be using for almost everywhere uh, outside of big chain stores and um, you know convenience stores you're going to need a lot of cash to well not necessarily a lot of cash but just cash in general to do what you want to do yeah that's an important point to make uh, if you're uh, staying just even for a short time you want to make sure you have sufficient cash for your needs things like uh, your hotel stay um, if that's in a major city there's no question, you'll be able to put that on your credit card or whatever. But uh, you you want to just make sure so you don't have any problems. So get your cash before you come, but also know how you're going to get it once you get here, whether you're going to take it on your credit card out of a ATM or, or however you're going to do that. Just make sure to have enough for your needs because if you, if you try to pay by credit card for, uh, you know, a family meal at a restaurant, you know, it, there's a good chance that's not going to be a possibility if you're dining out in the Inaka or something like that. Right. And on speaking of restaurants, uh, one thing that is definitely a great thing about Japan is that there is no tipping. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it so much. When you go into a restaurant and it says ramen's going to be uh, five, six, seven, eight dollars that's what it costs. There's no hidden fees uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, you, oh, you, the server was so nice to you, you need to tip her five extra dollars. Yeah. Why is that, Kaz? Why don't they tip in Japan? Uh, I don't know why they tip in, they don't tip in Japan, but I do know why the tipping culture started in America. Um, in the Great Depression, there were restaurants and, uh, you know, this was a terrible time in America and the restaurant owners were struggling and they couldn't necessarily pay their staff. So mm. some of the staff would just stay because that's the best they could do. But people who would come in would feel pity upon them and tip them. And due to the capitalistic nature of America, they saw that as a good opportunity to underpay their staffs while subsiding, while the staff members subside from tips. Um, mm. And while, why it has persisted all these years is kind of a bummer. And uh, there's a lot of inherent issues and problems with tip culture. But thankfully, that idea never came to Japan. And I'm very happy for it. Yeah, I love the no tipping in Japan. It just makes things so much easier. And you don't have to stress over it or worry um, whether you're offending the, the staff. But you've reminded me of something, a very interesting parallel. Uh, I didn't know that about America, how tipping originated. But a similar thing originated in Japan after the Second World War. As I'm sure you know, Kaz, Tokyo was devastated by uh, American bombs. Uh, and so after the war, people didn't have places to live, you know. Um, so apartments and places to live were at a premium. And so uh, this thing called key money developed. Um, I'm sure you've encountered this, Kaz. Oh, yes. So key money is basically um, you found a place to live, uh, a place to rent. And basically key money is usually around one month's rent, which you give as a gift to the person who will be your landlord because they are bestowing upon you a place that you can live. So this originated after the war when uh, places to live were very sparse. Uh, and so uh, the key money is like a present uh, to thank the landlord for letting you live here right now i have been you know every once in a while i'll get bored and i'll start searching online for apartments in crazy different places mm. there are there is a trend for new apartment buildings and stuff like that they are saying no key money necessary 
Right, yeah. So capitalism at work is like, oh, we got to undercut the other guy. So, yeah, you don't have to pay key money here. Right. Well, um, David, I think we're starting to talk about living in Japan. Um, Hmm. I think we should talk about it a little bit more in depth. But uh, first, I think we need to take a short little break. Is that okay with you, David? Let's do that, guys. Good idea. All right. David, I heard today we have a sponsor for this episode. Who is it? That's right, Kaz. Today's sponsor is smallgeek.com. Smallgeek.com is a marketing, data analysis, and web development company based out of Canada. It focuses on small businesses, so if you're a small business looking to improve your online presence, please go to smallgeek.com to find out more. Okay, so Kaz, um, I have a question for you uh, about um, what you kind of wish you knew uh, when you first came to Japan, something you didn't know then that you know now, and you were like, God, I wish I knew that. Okay, this is going to sound dumb, but nowhere in any online sort of thing um, did it ever tell me um, that I needed indoor shoes. Okay, yeah, as opposed to outdoor shoes. Right. So I knew from the get go that, you know, taking your shoes off before walking into places was uh, a thing here. That's like, I think the number one thing that every must know travel tips to Japan has, right? Take Mm -hmm. off your shoes. Mm -hmm. But I work in a school environment. And so when I go to the, when I went to the school, I took off my shoes, but then all these kids are running around with indoor shoes. And I, for the first few days, I was kind of at a, a, a deficit. There were slippers provided for me, but I don't have Japanese-sized feet, so those were uncomfortable. Oh, I so, see, yeah. Now, these indoor shoes should be clean, never worn outside, and they become your indoor shoes from, from that point on. But that is something I just, I wish somebody had told me, get out of the gate, you need indoor shoes. Yeah, now I'm kind of a little different because I did know about the necessity to bring indoor shoes, right? But I only brought one pair. So in my first couple of years, I had several different schools. I had five different schools, actually. So uh, when I would go to teach, I would have to bring these indoor shoes and carry them with me um, to each different school. Take off my shoes at the entranceway, slip on my indoor shoes and go about my business and then never forget them when I'm going home. But, you know... Uh, nowadays I have three different schools or two different schools that I go to regularly and uh, I just leave my indoor shoes there so I'm not lugging them about with me all the time Um, but that was a problem my first year because I only had one pair of indoor shoes and as you know Kaz as you've said before you can't buy you know you can't buy your size shoes here in Japan you have to get them online or buy them when you go home or something like that right and uh, speaking of which if you're coming here to live in Japan and you're a large fellow, either wide or tall, you're going to have to buy almost all of your clothes online. Or at least that is my opinion as of living in Hokkaido. I don't, I can't speak to what Tokyo may offer or, you know, Osaka, but if you're living out in the sticks like we do, it's a tough one getting clothes that fit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, big cities will have some kind of big size option. You know, there's a big size store in Asaikawa, but obviously the selection is very limited. Um, so I've been kind of regulated to wearing the same thing quite often. Yeah. So Kaz, yeah, Japan is famous for its kind of social et- etiquette and how that's often different um, from what we're used to in, in the West. But uh, I've, I've felt that usually those rules that are there um, you know, if you make a mistake, there's no real heavy price to pay. You know, people generally give you a bit of leeway as a foreigner in Japan. Would you agree? Yes. Now that I would absolutely agree on. You know, I came here feeling I was pretty nervous for the first six months here, you know, trying to follow all these guidelines and etiquette rules. And, you know, the Internet is terrible about uh, put instilling fear into uh, oneself about oh well japan's you know got all these different crazy rules and etiquette procedures and it sure does have its fair share but it's okay 
it's really okay to make those mistakes and there is that level of forgiveness that is provided for you when you're foreign because you don't know you've never you may have never been here you've not been raised in this environment you're new yeah. and that's okay i agree wholeheartedly yeah i think uh, that's something i wish i knew when i first came you know that nobody's really judging you it's okay to make mistakes and you do have that little bit of leeway um that said I, I can still, I still made a few mistakes that I'm embarrassed about. Like I went into uh, Tsuruha. Do you know Tsuruha, the drugstore? Um, yeah, so it, it's a drugstore, but you can also get a lot of stuff just like a regular supermarket. But one day, you know, my Japanese was at a very low level. And so I was consciously trying to pick up bits and pieces here and there. So I'd watch my other Japanese teachers at school. And sometimes the kid would ask something or say something and the teacher would say chigao meaning and which i thought meant no that's wrong um, but i actually took it to mean no as opposed to uh that's wrong so one day i was in Suruha and the, the nice uh, lady asked me if i'd like a plastic bag and i just kind of looked at her i said chigao which <laughs> essentially translates as wrong no i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to bag you idiot uh, so i felt i felt quite bad after that and uh, her reaction kind of <laughs> let me know that I'd made a mistake. Oh, man, that reminds me. I went to uh, a grocery store, a big chain grocery store, and, um, you know, they don't always provide bags. They don't just automatically give you a bag. They, they ask you for one because they're trying to reduce the use of plastics and other things. And mm. I purchased everything. And in Japan, um, typically for the grocery stores, they hand you the basket that you had everything in, and you move over to a separate table to bag things up. Hmm. and I didn't have anything, and it was very busy, and I felt embarrassed, and so I kind of used my shirt like a, you know, like a child carrying a bunch of <laughs> apples or oranges and toted my stuff out of there. Nice. <laughs> uh, I was... And the terrible thing is, is I felt too embarrassed to go back and ask for a bag. Then I embarrassed myself further by walking out of the store like a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't see how you could have done anything different cuz I'm sure I would have no. done exactly the same. But, <laughs> but to go back to your shoes uh shoe anecdote. You know, we both I think wish we could have relaxed a bit more when we first came to Japan and realized, you know, there are these rules but you don't need to fret over it too much. Um the first kind of eye-opening situation that I can remember uh, was at one of my school's opening ceremonies. You know, uh, at the start of the school year, you have an assembly and the principal will make a speech. Maybe student, the student council uh, president will make a speech, something like that. You know, they play the national anthem and so on. Qu quite a formal ceremony. So uh, my first one of those, we were all wearing suits. The principal even had this, this wonderful old suit which had coattails, you know, it was fabulous. But then on his feet were these big gaudy trainers, you know. Uh, so everyone in the whole place, they're in their uniforms, the teachers are all wearing suits, but everybody's wearing these big bright tennis shoes, you know, it's just so incongruous. Uh, and I thought that was uh, eye-opening for me because, you know, you have this veneer of formality, but ultimately what's practicable and what's, um, what's most appropriate is what is done. So, you know, we wear indoor shoes so as not to uh, damage the floor and so as to keep the place clean. So that's what we wear. So I thought that was kind of interesting for me. Yes, my uh, my vice principal wears a full suit and tie every day, but he wears bright green Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute, isn't it? It's it's a, it's such it's such a funny little diversion from what you're what you think when you know you research Japan. You don't think about you know oh he's going to wear bright green Crocs and a three piece suit. <laughs> right. So for the. I, you know, we are ALTs. I, I think I should broach the subject. You know, um, typically um, when you go to a junior high school or above um, is a little bit more prudent to wear nicer clothing, if not full suit and tie. Um, you know, my my fellow teachers typically either wear a full uh, suit and tie or some sort of very formal clothing. And on the flip side of that, if they have to do any activities like say badminton club or whatever they'll wear um a track suit but for us as 
ALTs, um, we can kind of get away with somewhere in the something in the middle. Uh, yeah. Do you find that to be true where you live? Oh, certainly, because uh, especially when I go to elementary school, you know, I think wearing a, a suit and tie is kind of off-putting for the kids, you know. So I've even had kids uh, say that to me, you know. And um, one day we had a kind of special performance lesson where other uh, teachers came to watch our English lesson uh, along with members of the, the public and the uh, Board of Education people. And for that occasion, I was wearing a suit. And uh, one of my students said to me, I think, Nande David Sensei was suits kitere no. And I said, oh, we have a special lesson today. And then the kid said, kimoe, which means, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you know, because it means kind of, oh, feels bad or I don't like it, you know. Um, disgusting disgusting gross. gross yeah so you know you play it by ear um usually in junior high you could wear a suit and maybe lose the tie depending on the environment you know um but in elementary right. school i think yeah no need for suit and tie but you do need to wear a suit and tie when, on your first day i think that's important you know oh, sure kind of yeah. get the feel of the land because every school's different you know there might be a stricter dress code policy or not um, but you know, summer does come here in Japan and it can get quite hot. So one of the more fun things about, um, you know, this sort of suit and tie culture is business casual or biz. What, what do they say? Biz they say <laughs> biz cas yeah, me? Oh, I'm a businessman. Yeah. So that, that is a funny thing there, right? It's like one day all across Japan, people switch to summer wear. And then later in the year, one day, same day, all across Japan, people switch back to winter suit, right? Right. Who decides that? Is it you? Who decides that? No, I don't know. I, I mean, I am the biz Kaz master, apparently. <laughs> biz Kaz. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all business and it's all Kaz all the time right here on your favorite podcasting station. Good work. Good ad there, Kaz. But yeah, here in Hokkaido, we're kind of free from the swelteringly hot summers that they get down in Tokyo or Kyoto areas. Like, you know, we never have to endure the heat and the humidity to any great extent here in Hokkaido. Yeah, that's something I, I don't envy anyone who's planning to move down to Kansai or uh, Kanto region anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I, I just feel bad for those type of people that have to move all the way down south. That's not alluding to anything. Please do not read into that. Kaz is moving down to Kansai. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperately I'm, sad. I'm, you know, new job opportunity. I'm going to move to Kyoto. Well, I say this now, knock on wood. Not everything's 100% confirmed, but it's darn near close. Good, good. Yeah, but it's, it's a great part of Japan, and you're going to be kind of closer to more traditional area of Japan, where you'll see a lot more of those slanty roofs and a lot more temples and things like that. But I feel more confident now that I've lived in Hokkaido and I've made all my mistakes, all my mistakes. <laughs> um, uh, I made a mistake speaking those words. Um, but, you know, this upcoming move, I know that some things will remain constant. One of the things that uh, it took me it, it took me a lot of tries and efforts was to figure out how to like say pay for pension or pay for electricity, and if it's not been said, you can do all of those particular bills at the convenience store, which is incredibly uh, easy. You just hand the clerk a little slip of paper with whatever bills on it. He'll scan it, and you can pay for it right there at the register. Granted, you have to pay in cash because that's how that works. But, you know, the convenience is there. Yeah. And but that's an important point on that, I think, is not to be afraid of stuff. You know, always ask, ask uh, somebody close to you, uh, what do I do with this? How do I pay, pay for this? Or just go to your local town office or city office because, you know, they want you to pay your bills. So they'll find a way to explain it to you. And um, I think my first year I did uh leave a few bills run late actually just because i didn't know how to pay them or where to go and um, so that's something to watch out for you know i don't mind making uh making mistakes and i look back on them fondly for the most part but one thing i that has dawned on me gradually over the first few years anyway was that the japanese sense of humor is very very different from what you or i might be used to um so a simple example 
you know, I was given given a, a, a small speech at a at an Enkai one time, which was a party. And, uh, you know, it was going around this big group of people, you know, like 30, 40 people or something. Everybody was standing up making some short toast and then we were all kampaiing, you know. And so I had to think, what am I going to say in Japanese? So I got up and I said in Japanese, oh, I'm sorry, everyone. My Japanese is not good. And today, unfortunately, I left all my best jokes at home. And, you know, which is, is some quality humor, as I'm sure you agree, Kaz. Yes, um, I'm laughing hysterically. But it didn't really translate bizarrely enough. And so, you know, I could see people, none of them were even close to understanding that I was cracking a gag, you know, that I was like trying to make them laugh. So then I basically just said, come by. <laughs> I said, cheers, everyone. And then everyone kind of uh, returned to normal and cheers. Um, but that was an odd well, one. You know, my standard is if I make a terrible joke, um, you know, uh, my, my my typical joke, like uh, you know, a sled to slide on snow is called a sorry. And so I always go, oh, you know, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, go menasai, sorry. You know, that sort of terrible joke. Hmm. And the kids look at me and they go, why, why are you speaking to us? And I go, oh. American joke, American <laughs> Jordan, American joke, because yeah. it is a uh, terrible joke. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It falls flat. And apparently, uh, when Americans came to Japan a long time ago, they would typically try to tell jokes, and so this sort of stereotype that the American joke is terrible, and that's how I kind of skate by with my terrible jokes. Hmm. Well, I, for one, love the American joke, Kaz. I think it's uh, it's a mainstay of my my life. Um, I'm not going to give up telling them anytime soon. Would you like me to tell you an American joke? Uh, I would just give out that you've waited this long. <laughs> Please do. All right. All right, count with me. Straw, 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 straw. That's it. That's the last straw. <laughs> yes. Was that good? Was that bad? That was bad. That was good. I liked it a lot. But but Japanese people wouldn't wouldn't get that, would they? No. no. And in, in turn, we don't get the their jokes either. It, it yeah. takes a lot of effort and time to finally get it because jokes are cultural. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you're not born and molded by the culture, some jokes fall flat. Hmm. I do quite like some of the kids' jokes, you know, like there's this one they got me with uh, a few months back. Uh, uh, the way you say it, it means like, hey, you should take a bath. And then you respond, hi, Ryo. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, take a bath but actually the way they say it nei-chan to nei-chan is like older sister and then to is with so actually what they're asking you is like do you take a bath with your sister and then you've just (laughs) responded yes i do oh no you've just embarrassed yourself it's it's a funny (laughs) little gag but yeah you know culture defines humor and it's hard to learn culture sometimes and it's Mm. hard to learn humor yeah, it takes a long time. So I don't think either of us should really beat ourselves up over, um, you know, what we wish we knew back then. But uh, yeah, it is important to talk about, I think, when you're planning to come to Japan, whether you're tr- taking a trip or planning to stay a long time. Yeah, you should. Um, oh, you know, David, one of the hmm. worst things they ever did to me here in Japan is they gave me a driver's license. <laughs> Why is that so bad? Well, because the first time I was driving through Hokkaido, luckily I was driving in such a remote area, I typically drifted to the right side of the road. Gotta keep it on the left. Oh, yes, of course. We drive on the left here, as they do in all the best countries, Kaz. All the best countries. And the speed limit here is typically a little slower or lower than the American speed limit. So do be careful when you're driving around here in japan now hokkaido has some quite wide roads due to all the snow um, but in southern japan the roads are quite narrow and sometimes you might think this road is 
a one-way because it's only large, wide enough for one car, but it can be two ways. So there's this, you know, you got to be careful when driving here. Um, yeah, and yeah. another thing, I, I just, I got to talk about cars. Um, if you're traveling across Japan in your car, it can be quite expensive to actually ride on the roads. And that's something that no one told me. Oh, you mean the, the highways? Yeah, the pay highways. The toll roads. Yeah. In America, when you go through a toll road, you're paying 2 to $5 to, for the right to use that uh, highway. But here, you can easily pay close to 50 American dollars to drive on the interstate for, I don't know, maybe an hour. Hmm. On those highways, you can usually drive maybe 100 kilometers, 120. It's usually signposted. But on the regular roads all over Japan, there's a standard set limit of 60 kilometers per hour, which everyone drives 10 or 15 kph over, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to know, yeah, the national limit is like 60 kph, but then it's often signposted if it's uh, more or less than that. Right. But yeah, I had a nice experience from of driving from Hokkaido to Hiroshima, as I mentioned before over about three weeks during a long winter vacation and generally you know i had pretty much no major incidents at all in the car you know there was one time when a fumikiri was not very well signposted i almost went speeding through it um but that was about it like the roads can be quite small but there's always a lot of forethought and uh, given to sort of layout and so on so uh, David, what is a fumi fumikiri? Oh, sorry, yeah, fumikiri is the uh, train crossing. I almost went speeding through one of those. And you do need to stop before passing over it, even if there's not a train coming. That's right. Yeah, I absolutely must stop. And so, what caught me out, I think, was that there's no big red sign. You know, you have to remember the the fumikiri sign. Um, because it's uh, black and yellow, and it can look like one of those other. Uh, signs that you usually ignore but uh, it's important not to do that but yeah easy very easy to get around japan uh, whatever way i've done it um it's a it's a joy to travel in this country i think it is i really enjoy it and you know uh when you're traveling in the car um there are often uh rest stops uh on the side of the road just dedicated for bathrooms and they're usually very very clean um there's even a selection of these things called uh oh i forget the word um not ekimae um oh what's it called the roadside travel stops david oh michi no eki ah uh, michi no eki that's right um and those are usually little cultural hot spots of like oh this is the town here are some of the premier objects of the town like here in Hokkaido, there's uh, one that I go to. It has uh, Nakagawa um, foods and uh, drinks and uh, specialty little things. Those are quite fun to go visit. Yeah, you always get the local produce in those areas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, those Michinoekis and those convenience stores on the side of the road are places where you'll find a trash can as well, which you've probably been looking for. Uh, oh, because, right. as we said, trash cans are, are few and far between uh, with good reason, you know, people uh, take personal responsibility for their own trash, so they keep it on their person until they find a place to de deposit it. But yeah, lastly, on the traveling, uh, I also recommend hitchhiking. It's perhaps not something you think of. Maybe it's going out of fashion in other countries around the world because of safety and so on. But uh, Japan is a very, very safe country. And the one time I did hitchhiking down in Kyushu, it's kind of boring, actually, because chances are you'll get picked up very very quickly and uh when i when i was hitchhiking in in the center of kyushu the man who is from miyazaki took me exactly where i wanted to go you know uh yeah nice experience you'll meet some nice people i would never think of hitchhiking in america uh so it is a strange notion i might have to try it out in my next move definitely do <laughs> Well, David, uh, I think our time has come to an end. Uh, I'm sure there's more we can talk about uh, living in Japan and visiting Japan, but I think that'll be sprinkled about as we continue our podcasting efforts. Yeah, as we as we continue our podcasting journey, no need to rush things, right? No things, no need to rush. You know, we're 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 gonna try to do this for the long haul. So, good call. Okay. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Kyodai Brothers. I'm David. And I'm Kaz. Please visit our website, thekyodaibrothers.com, for show notes and more. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcasting app. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.